Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on cyberate.it using the discount code podcast. In this episode of the Cyberate Podcast, we welcome back Josh Lospinoso, the CEO of Shift5. Speaking with Mike Gruen and Jonathan Myers from Cyberate, they discuss why adding additional security costs more and why it's not included. Yeah, do we want to talk about how terrible companies are still making money by charging extra for single sign-on? Or generally speaking, just right, the 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 idea that additional security that doesn't really cost anything more from a company's perspective, they're gonna right, charge it's a more because these days. right, it's a commodity. Right. So right, the idea that like SSO, which I, the one thing I would say is that I can see set having a setup fee or something along those lines. If there's some additional work to get it set up and running, then having a fee for that makes total sense. But to have Yeah, a, I see it for like non-social providers, right? Like if you're trying to connect to my Active Directory uh, federated services or whatever that I run mm-hmm. on-prem or I run in Azure Cloud or whatever, yeah, right. I get it. Like that's not the most common setup. And I'm sure there's a lot of troubleshooting with like whitelisting IP addresses and that type of stuff. But for like the vast majority of people that just want to sign in with Google, right? like I don't, I don't get it because Google's already made all the stuff they put it out for free. It's kind of here. So the nice thing is there's there's different tiers, right? So there's plenty of companies. Um, so Slack, I'll, I'll throw under the bus a little bit. So Slack charges more for, for SSO. That's an enterprise thing. And that's a... like You have to go up to the, um, I think, 6 or $12 per user level, whatever it is. It's, it's, um, it's a significant increase per it's user. Per, right, it's double. Per month, per user yeah. uh, to get access to, this, to the SSO. Um, but at least at the beginning tier um, of paid user, they offer uh, sign in with Google. They allow for the social. Um, but the idea that it's a per that there's some sort of additional cost per user per period of time is just mind boggling to me. And companies that do that just it really does. Do you think it's like an engineering decision or like straight sales? Just like how do we sales? Sales, uh, sales, sales. The, the so, opportunity is there, right? How how do yeah. we differentiate? How do we differentiate the enterprise package That's from it. the business package? That's all oh, it is. SSO. Yeah. yeah, it's so there's you know economics. There's like this concept of surplus, right? Where there's a, a a reserve price at which I'll provide you a product, but I'm basically breaking even. And then there's like what you're willing to pay for it before you're like ah forget it. If there's a delta in between there, it's called surplus and sales. Is all about who gets that surplus, right? So if you're willing to sell me something for two bucks, I'm willing to pay 10. What's the price that gets paid? And so here's the challenge, right? Is that everyone... So from a company perspective, we have some cost of goods sold, right? Say it's Mm -hmm. two bucks. Well, if there's a, a pool of customers that all have different reserve prices, I'm leaving money on the table if I price at a single level, right? And so if if I have negative Starbucks is like Great at this, uh, for example, like you could buy. You could Wait, pay. how much does SSO cost at Starbucks? <laughs> <laughs> you can Sorry. you can basically go there and pay a buck fifty for a cup of coffee or six dollars for a whatever. It's mm-hmm. basically an identical product. Like, let's be real. There's like you know you put sprinkles and swirls and whatever in it, but it's basically the same. So if you're a price blind like caffeine fiending customer 
and you're cool with paying, paying five bucks for a cup of coffee, they have a way for you to do that. And so mm-hmm. all this pricing differentiation is just a way for custom, for companies to grab as much surplus as possible. My guess here is, to your point, G, SSO is, is one of the easiest ways to differentiate enterprises, which are typically willing to pay a lot more for SaaS than, you know, from, from, from uh, you know, someone who's a non-enterprise. Well, and the other thing, the SSO and like Skim, I think those two things go together. I don't know if everybody's familiar with Skim, but it's the provisioning, automatic deep provisioning and provisioning of accounts based on uh, the SSO and the IDP and stuff. Um, so um, I think that when you're smaller and you have less people to manage, you're sort of like, yeah, we don't really need the SSO. I can add and remove people. I can set up the permissioning properly. And I can remember when we terminate this person that I have to go through these 15 other systems and, and term them as well. And um, you have like an offboarding checklist as opposed to full automation. Um, but I think that's changing. I look at Cyber, even as when we were only 20 people, 90% of what we were doing for onboarding and offboarding was all through um, automation. Um, and so I, but I do think that, to your point, so as you get larger, right, in enterprise, they're definitely going to be willing to pay a lot more for the ability to automate things as opposed to having to have a large IT staff so that they can do onboarding and offboarding checklists. Yeah, but when, okay. like, at what point do we say is the industry that, like, security is just, like, standard, oh, right? Oh, like, be, multi-factor so, is but now that's not the, it's not the It's not the security industry that gets to set that. It's the buyers. It's yeah. The people, right, if to the be, consumer, right. To be super clear, like I'm not advocating that this is like just that's just prescriptive. <laughs> like we're just being prescriptive about like this is how enterprises is how happens, right. sell because what do businesses do? They maximize profit, right? So right. I think it's bullshit. Like I like I think it's 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 um uh it's terrible that we sell security because everyone right. has a right to security, I think. Right. I mean, I, I have no problem with selling it if it costs more, if there's an actual difference. But like for us, like the way our platform is designed, aside from the work that we have to do to get SSO configured and set up, there's the troubleshooting, there's, you know, exchanges of information. It actually involves, you know, we haven't fully automated it so that just anybody can go in and put in, you know, the configuration. Um, it makes sense that we, that that has a cost associated with it. Um, but after that, it's pretty flat. Now, I could imagine a universe, and I've been in these conversations where we start talking about, well, what's the differentiation between this package and this package where SSO, oh, maybe people would pay more for SSO. And as somebody in the room saying, like, I really don't want to be that company. I know that there's this, like, there is, um, I can't remember the name of the website, but there is a, like, a, a, a wall of shame of companies that charge more for SSO. And I just really don't want to see Cyber on that list. Um, but there's also the business side, and you know you can't always win. Totally. Um, so, I, so I don't think it's completely on the security people. I think there's also a fair bit of on the on the on the consumer. Um, I know when I'm negotiating deals, if they're trying to charge more for SSO, I always say like, "Is there any like what can we do? Can you guys? I, I don't need the enterprise package. Eighty percent of what's in the enterprise package just doesn't apply to us. But SSO is something I really want. How do we? Can you?" check whatever box. Right. And I think it's like this weird never ending game, right? Because if you think about like a lot of like the vendor assessments and things like that, when companies are trying to bring in Cyberry, we have to answer questions all the time of like, are your services using multi-factor? Are you using single sign-on? Right. Are you using single sign-on everywhere where it's available? And it's like, well, yeah, we are for the price point. 
<laughs> right, that we're at. But like, that's a difficult, and it's, so it's like this self-feeding thing. But I wonder, like, at what point do you think we can kind of force it to become like, right? Because I would, I would argue that multi-factor is pretty much common these days. Like it's, it's based, I would hope, like baseline. Like, are we getting to the point where single sign-on and that type of stuff is almost to that point where we're kind of just like security is becoming way more in every the front of everybody's mind and it's becoming that first question that we ask and so i'm i'm hoping that like we we're getting there faster than think, it took for like multi-factor to take off i think the difference between something like sso and multi-factor um i could be wrong um is that from my perspective doing s there's the cost is the same, like from an engineering, from there's libraries, there's things, there's partners that we can work with that can help us to provide this and make it very, very easy for us to set up the, the SSO. It actually removes a certain amount of risk. We're now shifting that. So I think that there's a point at which you get to where it's just so commodity and it's just, it's actually easier. It's that point where it's like, it's just easier to do SSO than it is username and password. And I think Jonathan, you and I have even talked about like, as we roll out more and more social login for Cybrary, like when do we get to the point where we're not even asking people for usernames and passwords and like 90% of our users are signing in through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Google, Apple, whatever it may be, or using or going Magic Link. Right, right. And then replacing it eventually once we get to that 10%, like how can we just do Magic Link rather than having any credentials stored on our system? Um, yep. So... Yeah, I mean, the, one of the other really interesting pressures is I look at, uh, to make this confusing, SSL, uh, not SSO, um, as uh, different. But a- another example of where the, eng- the security industry was able to make certs basically free um, right. you know, through Let's Encrypt. Um, I mean, for a long time... Uh, I mean, free, you know, modulo like your time and getting it working. Um, but uh, I mean, for a long time, you know, companies would just print, I mean, it's still to some extent, just print money by like issuing these SSLs. I mean, extended validation requires, I guess, a little bit of, of, of elbow grease, but like your, your vanilla SSL cert doesn't cost you anything so that you can right. automate, you can automate the whole process. And so, right. you know, but by releasing this tool, you know, the EFF, we, we keep talking about them because they're great, but, yeah. um, you know, they released this tool and all of a sudden, security becomes free, and it just becomes table stakes that um, you know that providers give certificates. Although it's funny that you bring that up because there's a couple of vendors with whom we work who you know they are going to have a, a cyber subdomain, uh, so they're sort of want to manage our certs for us, and they then want to charge us thousands of dollars for a cert. Still have, wow, that's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Still it's like right. It's like I don't understand. We have we can we can just send you one. No, no, we have to use ours, and it's going to cost us five thousand dollars to get it for you. Yeah, there was what was this <laughs> last year? We're looking at a like marketing software and things like that. And then yeah. if you want, you know how like marketing software has like landing pages that they get you to go to, and you had to pay them if you wanted an SSL like an HTTPS landing page. You had to pay them the money for the certs. Yeah, it makes me sad. Right. Actually, we, we, ha- we had two options. We had two options, right? We could either pay them the money for the cert or we could pay some amount of money for the customization to use our own cert. And they were, it was six of one, half dozen of the other in terms of price. Um, they, it was the exact same cost. So we we're like, well, I guess we'll be paying for the cert rather than the hassle because this company, whatever. 
I have. And then once we paid for it, they put the wrong cert on our website (laughs) right off the bat. And so, yeah, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's yeah, it makes me upset. Yeah, it's very difficult, especially because everything we kind of run now is like all let's encrypt automated stuff. And so when it's trying to talk to vendors, um, I would say marketing software is kind of like behind the curve is where I generally see mm-hmm. a lot of these issues. And um, I guess possibly some sales so- software, but like Salesforce has kind of eliminated that because they kind of, they got smart to the whole, let's just automate this and then you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but marketing software seems to be kind of lagging behind the curve and thinking, they can they can still get away with it, which I think a lot of it has to do with the audience you're selling to. Right? Oh, exactly right. Who you, who's who's the buyer in that? I think um, for a lot of cases, I think that when I was talking to the various marketing vendors that we talked to, um, I think that they were not expecting the CISO to be involved in the initial conversations. It's sort of like, you know, they'd be going through and like, oh, so what's your security? You know, what do we have to do to get through the security process? Like, no, actually, we're doing that throughout the entire this conversation. Right. It's not just this like, oh, send us some documentation at the end and we check some boxes. Um, and then sometimes still something slipped through the crack when you sign up yep. with a vendor and realize they don't support basic email security. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Right? Like DMARC. They just don't support right. DMARC. And DMARC's been around for what, like eight years now, I think. And so yep. it's just, I don't understand how you're still selling software. And then it's like, you talk to them and they're like, yeah, we have no, it's not on our roadmap. Oh, I thought they said Your it was on the roadmap. It's just email. not, it's, 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 yeah. it's always nine months out. That's the, yeah. that, as a former head of product, I can tell you uh, what you say is it's, it's about nine months to a year. Nine out. months is an eternity. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's, that means it's, it's never getting done. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like your job is to send emails. How do you not support yeah. basic email sending? I mean, yeah. I feel like the, the correction has to be customers getting smart to these issues and being choosy, you know, using it as a factor in their consideration, right? I mean, if you believe in market dynamics, that's got to be it. So, so part of it is the security industry educating consumers about why this is bad. I guess. Actually, I'm just going to start lobbying Congress to pass a law that says <laughs> you can't charge more for SSO. I think that's really how the United States works. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> Problem the government solved. just the government will get an SSO account on all systems. That they there you go. Um, I think this goes back to um, Bob win, and win, the win. FBI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how they get the back door. <laughs> win, 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 win. Exactly. I do think one thing that I'm, I'm like, I'm hoping as a community, security people and like CISOs, we can come together and stop paying for like administrator accounts to like oh. all of the softwares. I right, will say, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I will say the couple of vendors I've talked to recently have been great in terms of, so typically the sort of super admin privileges sort of go with this like owner and they have full permission to do everything on the platform. And they don't really have a notion of like, oh, this is just an administrative user that should be able to like manage the people, but not necessarily the actual functionality of the platform, right? Um and I've been very happy with at least the vendors we've talked to where I'm like, hey, I need three seats for administrative accounts. We're never going to log in to the system to do the actual thing this thing is meant to do. But I need access in order to provision and deprovision uh, because you're going to charge me more for SSO um, So and, and skim. So... And they've been very good at at least throwing in a couple extra user licenses yeah. for administrative accounts. But... Yeah. Even there, I feel like the fact that I have to ask or that you didn't even think like, oh, there should just be an admin-only type role 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that, that, I was just going to say that actually concerns me because it, it totally violates the principle of least privilege. Like you should Wait, be which using, principle? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you should be using your like daily account to be doing all kinds of stuff. And then it also has God mode on, on your, on your whole right. platform. Yeah, and then so we recently had a vendor. Yeah. <laughs> we had a vendor recently charge us more for admin seats. Oh yeah, the admin seats are more, even though they have less functionality. Like all they right, the functionality they have is not. Yeah, price differentiation <laughs> surplus. Yeah. Um, right. Well, you need an admin. You, you're going to need admin accounts. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, might as well. We know you need them. Yeah. Like you need them to set up. So. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Especially because I think as security gets more and more baked into a lot of products, like you need the security person to be able to go in and right. like check audit logs and like validate these things that they're selling to you um, and to connect single sign-on and to connect social auth and to like enforce certain data restrictions and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so giving, I think that would be a nice shift to see like dedicated rule or roles, I guess, start to emerge out of the traditional like administrator is kind of like see it start to shift to have like a security type role and then maybe like a user administrator type thing that you can kind of differentiate. But like you can't even follow principle least privilege because you only have six seats. And so it's like, right. oh, well, Jim from accounting is going to get master administrator every time he logs in because of, I don't have enough seats. Yep. And so... It's so interesting. It makes me wonder whether like this move to SaaS has actually created perverse incentives for security people, right? Like, like because we've moved to SaaS and there's like this cost per user per month or whatever, mm -hmm. um, are we creating scenarios where like, it's just expensive for security? Um, yeah, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know because I wasn't around in the pre-SaaS era really. So. Uh, so, so you're asking me to talk to this? Um, so Gee, please hold court. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think you're right. I think that there's... Um, there's a couple different things, right? When, um, what before SaaS and everything was like sort of on-prem deployment and you still were paying per user, per license, per whatever, it was from a company perspective. Like I remember selling into those, it's just a nightmare to do the license management. And then how do you make sure that the company's not actually violating the license and all of the, all of the code that has to go into like enforcing licenses because it's in a hostile environment and how do you go back and check with the mothership and have a signed, you know, shipping over like a config file that has a signature on it that says 15 licenses. And then it's like, well, it's Java code. They can actually get... There's a way, you know, like there's all these things... They have root. To do. Right, they, they have, have physical a, access. Right, right. And they can, they can decompile the code and they can recompile it with, you know, like and do things. So uh, that was a nightmare. Um, so the move to SaaS, at least from the application development perspective, has reduced the cost of security, right? Because now there's it's all server side, and it solves that. It it should be all server side. Uh, so it solves some of that um, in terms of yeah. But your your attack vectors are like infinitely larger than they used to be, right? Because from an application security's perspective, you would deploy into a customer's data center, mm -hmm. and you would have the assumption, hopefully that the customer was securing everything coming into that data center and hopefully to that rack, right? So like so, you didn't have to worry about that. You were like, I'm assuming only good, like you could, right? You could assume only good traffic was getting to my software. To right? a certain extent, but you still had to deal with the fact that there might be 
malicious insiders, that what happens if it gets hacked, what's the liability? But yes, yeah, definitely. But now you have a public website that anybody with the Burp suite can just run or the low ion whatever cannon and just <laughs> hit your site. Like right. it's, so so let me let me be really clear here, right? Where we shifted is from licensed management and whether or not users are violating licenses, which isn't security, that's licensed management, to now we have security concerns. So from a software engineering perspective, it doesn't... I mean, software engineers, we've shifted because of cloud and because of all of these tools and DevSecOps and other things that we have. And, and because we are building on the shoulders of giants, right? We don't have to build every single thing. I think using SaaS within the platform for solving these things, I think has reduced the amount of time or effort the software engineer has to put into things. I'm not suggesting that the security footprint's any smaller or that the costs for securing things are smaller, but certainly the engineering cost or the amount of engineering time spent on these problems has diminished. And you can have engineers focused on building features and functions that differentiate you as opposed to building bullshit like login, forgot password, authentication crap that like they're inevitably going to get wrong um, because that's just how things go. Um, so anyway, so uh, let me get back on that or get off this horse. Um, so where were we? Uh, yeah, we're talking about how it's like the, the essentially the copywriting, the the license management right. is easier. Uh, and you know, I think we were going to talk about from the customer's perspective. Like right. So no, oh, right. So one of the perverse. Right. Thank you for reminding me. So, because now secure, now when you have a per license cost, right? Now there's this perverse incentive for like, hey, this is really expensive. Uh, why don't we buy five seats and share these license, share these seats, and we'll use a password manager, or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll use an Excel spreadsheet. Um, shame on you. Um, whatever you're going to use, or password one two three. Right, right, easy, or right, easy. or we all know what the password is, right? We yeah. all know it's the name of the company followed by some other thing followed by you know whatever some pattern. Um, but yeah, so there's a, so there's an incentive to create shared accounts because the cost of having uh, an administrator in addition to the user is so high. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, and then you lose auditing, you lose so much on that trade-off um, of who did what. And that shared user is probably the system admin. So yeah. they have just God mode when they log in to change whatever, and there's no yeah. way to figure anything out. Right. Although I guess that incentive existed when it was on-prem too. Oh, it absolutely did. That, that incentive absolutely did, right? Um, yeah. Maybe not like long, like super long ago, because like the admin could just log SSH into the box and change the config file. Right. right? Like pre, like everything's in a UI type situation. And the sys admins and the DB admins didn't have to have licenses to the software. They could still go in, perform maintenance, do upgrades, right? Right. Like it wasn't like they needed to log in to see anything. They right, would just connect true. to the database to steal all the data. Right. Or right. Or connect to the database to figure to change configuration settings. I, I seem to recall those yeah. days. Um yeah, why do we still have DNS, man? You know? Uh <laughs> oh, did you see the new Apple iOS 14 is gonna turn that on? By default, the DNS over or over HTTPSSEC. Which one? DNS over HTTPS. Yeah, I, I think is now an option, and you can push it to computers in the macOS, the new one, eleven. Uh, the DEP and all that management stuff, like we can force 
all our computers to use DNS over HTTPS. And then I, I guess I'm, this is an interesting take. The whole, um, when on the new iOS 14, when your device joins a Wi-Fi network, it can present an anonymized MAC address uh, so that you can't do fingerprinting. And so every time it joins, it does another random, random That's cool. MAC address, which is pretty interesting. But I wonder how that starts to work and play with kind of like the enterprise and things like that. Where uh, Well, you can't do you know, level security. Right. Well, I mean, you didn't really have port level security on Wi-Fi, but that's fair. I mean, I guess. <laughs> well, I guess everybody's using Radius anyway, and so as yeah. long as you're updating a certain way. But I, I don't know if that's more secure or less secure. I think it's an interesting idea. I think it. There's got to be Apple smarter than probably all of us, but like totally. Oh, but they also like, and but they also err on the side of privacy, right? So the fact yeah. that your company can't necessarily as easily monitor everything that you're doing. You know, that's sort of, that's more there. Right, but I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think on like the whole Apple, like design wise, like if you're doing stuff in your home network, right? Like we're kind of getting to that point where you get notifications when a new device joins your Wi-Fi and things like totally. that. But if it's mm-hmm. always this random ID, does yeah. that kind of kill some of that security in favor of privacy? I mean, you were always as an attacker able to spoof existing MAC addresses, but it mm-hmm. does add complexity to the attack. Um, yeah. Does it have complexity? Yeah, because you have collisions potentially, um, and it makes it more difficult. Already, I guess you already have collisions. With, you already have collisions with IoT because some of those manufacturers just use the same stupid yeah. MAC address for <laughs> yeah. every every light bulb on the network. Same MAC address. Just we can put it on a different. Home. You put it on a different collision domain. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> one router yeah, per device. Anyway. Yeah, One yeah, router yeah. per for, for yeah, like we're, we're uh, I'm trying to remember if you were on that podcast with uh, where Joe and I talked about that on one of the 401 access denied. If that was we uh, we definitely talked about the the MAC address and I, yeah yeah I just used Unify and put all the IoT crap on its own network. Mm-hmm. Wild West man, well, which <laughs> is not easy to set up. No, it's not. It's Unify's not. VLAN stuff is yeah. I had um yeah. I'm a big fan of the, I have different physical routers. That's the yeah, easiest way. That's a good way to do it. It's, a good way to do it. Just, it's just cheap. Well, easy. Because I yeah, don't have anything like, sounds better. expensive. Well, no, because I don't have anything better to do with the Verizon router that they give me with my, uh, right. my Fios. So I might as well use that for IoT and things I'm less care about and then have my real network behind that. So. Yeah. But then what if that, that, I, that device gets owned because you put it on the less secure network? But it's still on it's the outside. of in your house. No, uh, I don't. Okay, let's be serious about what IoT I have in my house. <laughs> okay, sorry. Generic IoT. I'm an, I'm an old dude who wears a tinfoil hat. There's no cameras that are... But you use the Verizon provided router. Uh, only for the... And then I have a router that sits behind that with a firewall, so it treats it just like the regular public. Um, yeah, the, all, the, all the cameras in my house are closed. Uh, uh, was it CCTV? The old school with cables. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, man. Yeah, it sounds miserable to manage, but I'm it sure was, once you got it set up, it was just rock solid. It was it was a joke. We don't have cameras in my house. <laughs> oh, I was about to say you're probably recording like VHS or Betamax too. Oh, beta. We're definitely recording. Beta. Totally. It's a superior technology. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's also super track. secure because nobody it's it's better than encryption. Nobody right. has the player. It's just like uh, security through obscurity is definitely a form of security. Like there's no yes. doubt about it. It's just you shouldn't rely on it. 
Um, right. <laughs> hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.